All right, well, how many of y'all are excited to be at church today? I am, yes. No place, no place that I would rather be than here with my church family. Um, so I threw a monkey wrench, like I said, to John today. Um, for those of you who don't know, we plan out uh, our topics and our series a year in advance. I already know what I'm preaching on in December. And for the, we have our 15-year anniversary in a, in a couple months. And in 15 years, I've only done this twice. Uh, this morning, I just had, I had no peace uh, with what I was preaching on. We're starting to kick off a new series. We had all the community groups coordinated with it. We had the videos. We had everything. And this morning in my office, I guess the Lord just said, no, I want you to do something different. And so my apologies to the team, and, uh, and everything that, that, but this is, uh, this is what the Lord has for us today. Um, I love that video, even though it, it was not meant for today, but it really is. Revival is not a self-centered thing. Revival is a God-centered thing. And we need to repent as Christians for making church about us and about the things that we want and how self-centered we have become. Because when God sends revival, he takes the spotlight off of us and puts it straight onto him. And we realize how far we have missed the mark. Um, I was very excited on Wednesday when I heard about what was going on over at Asbury, uh, over Asbury Chapel. If you guys don't know what's going on, it's actually made the local news and everything. What happened was on Wednesday during chapel, 10 o'clock, the same person got up to lead worship, do his three songs, guys stood up to do his message and everything. Nothing was planned. And all of a sudden, student after student after student started confessing their sins, being hit with the Holy Spirit, confession, repentance. They started praying for each other. And this just went on and on. And 11 o'clock happened. You're supposed to be done by 11 o'clock, right? Because you got class to go to. Well, no one went to class. And everybody started pouring into the chapel. Professors started pouring into the chapel. And they started praying for each other. They lined the, the auditorium and, and, and prayed for each other, confessed their sins. And then random people started getting up and leading worship. It's going on right now. You can go and see it right now. Well, um, this went on all Wednesday, and it went on all Thursday, and it went on all Friday. Classes have not happened. Uh, people from all over town, be, uh, all over the, the, the United States because of social media have started coming to Little Wilmore, and the place is packed. I got a, I got a picture from a friend of mine at 3 o'clock this morning. The place was packed. It was, it was completely full, and people were still singing praises to God and praying for each other. Places packed. Um, and uh, that's what's going on over in Wilmore right now. Now, when I was a, st a student at Asbury Seminary in the 1990s, the same thing had happened in 1970. A revival broke out, same thing, chapel service, and, and it just went on for weeks. And teams from Asbury College went to different colleges because people say, hey, what, whatever's going on down there, bring it here. So teams of, of preachers and, and worship leaders uh, would go to these colleges and revival would break out there. It was in 1970. I remember hearing about that as a student, um, about the, the echoes of that. And so the, uh, I, I had a friend of mine ask me if I've been over there to see it. And I said, no, it's not because I don't believe in what's going on over there. I have a, I have a reason I haven't been over there. And this is it that if it's a true revival, then I'm not gonna have to go there. It's gonna come here. Um, the, if it's a true revival, then it is not gonna stay confined in the chapel of Asbury College. If it stays contained in the chapel of Asbury College, it's not a revival. It's a very long worship service. See, if it is a true revival, certain things are gonna happen. We're gonna talk about them today. 
And I'm excited about it. I have no doubt what in, in my mind that what's going on over there is genuine. It's happened at Asbury before. Uh, it's, it's incredible. But this is what revival is. Take this out. The best definition of revival I found was, uh, has been from Pastor John Piper. And he, he said this, revival is the sovereign work of God to awaken his people with fresh intensity to the truth and glory of God, the ugliness of sin and the horror of hell, the preciousness of Christ's atoning work, the wonder of salvation by grace through faith, the urgency of holiness and witness, and the sweetness of worship with God's people. There's a lot there, and we're going to talk about it. The first thing that, that we have to understand, it's a sovereign move of God. Sovereign work of God. I cannot make revival happen, neither can you. Kind of like John was talking about, you cannot plan a revival. It has to start at heaven's throne. And God gives revival at certain times. It's a sovereign work of God. You cannot manipulate. You can't sing enough verses of just as I am. You know, to, to you know, people come in, you know, 50 verses of just as I am. People come down just as they are, go out just as they were. You know, that kind of thing. That, doesn't, that does not happen. It's a sovereign work of God. It's God-directed. God will determine how, when it happens, where it happens, and how long it goes. Okay? So if, if, if you're like, well, oh, man, we need to have revival here. Sorry, you don't have that kind of power. It's kind of like asking the sun to rise or set. God determines that, not us. Okay? But the second thing is that, the, 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 so once, it's, once revival hits, the first sign of it is this. It's not a five-day worship service or seven-day worship service, although that happens. The first thing that happens in a revival is this. People awaken with a fresh intensity to the truth and the glory of God. Listen to what John 14, 3 through 6 says. Jesus says this, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to you and, and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the first thing the church awakens to is the truth, the, 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 the truth of God. In layman's terms, it's the Bible. When revival hits, there will be a tremendous turning to the word of God, a tremendous elevation of the Bible. It will not be downplayed or minimized or set on a shelf and ignored for 20 years. It will be you will desire the Bible. You will love the Bible. The awakening to the truth of God. Your attitude towards the Word of God is the first thing to change in a revival. Okay? An elevation of the Bible. If you do not believe the Bible to be the Word of God, when revival hits, you change that. Right? Uh, uh, if it's a true revival, like I said, it will, we'll see it outside of the, of, the, of the college chapel. We will see it in our homes. We will see an intensity, an awakening to the love of God's word. Okay? Um, this is what will happen. If it's a true revival, pastors and Wilmore and here will repent of minimizing the Bible, of preaching sermons that are not based on the Bible. Uh, they will repent or they'll leave the ministry. Uh, professors and I have no doubt they're wonderful over there at Asbury. Professors who have minimized the Bible, who have, who have uh, uh, said it's not the word of God, said it's not divinely inspired, they will repent, they will change, or they will resign. Those are the things that will happen. Christians who have, uh, uh, who have looked at the Bible as simply a book of advice 
or people who say, well, it's a, it's a, bunch, of, it's a bunch of writings written by men and therefore it's not, it's not relevant. They will repent. There will be an awakening of the word, of the love of the word of God. That's the first thing that happens in revival. Um, it, it work, awakening to the truth and the glory of God um, and the truth that Jesus is the only way. There's a, an awakening to that. I was talking with my father-in-law. I was watching that travesty known as the UK basketball game. And because it was so awful, we started talking theology. And um, he asked me if I thought that Jesus was the only way to heaven. And I said, yes. He said, why do you think that? I said, well, because Jesus' actions showed that that's what he believed. See, if, G if there's another way to heaven, Jesus would have said, go do that. I wouldn't, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Jesus' actions showed that he believed that was the only way. And if that's what Jesus thinks, I'm not arrogant enough to argue with him. But he said, the way that I frame this is this, because that's an unpopular message in this culture. The way I frame it is this. I said, I can tell you how to get to my house. Go down 27, turn on 169, turn left on Keenway Drive, seven-tenths of a mile down, uh, house on the left with the black, black shutters. I can tell you how to get to my house. Now, if there's another way, you may try to find it, but that's the way I know. And so that's what I'm going to tell you. That's really about the only way to my house. Um, I don't know why you try to find another way, because I've just told you, I've made it easy, but if you want to try to find another way, knock yourself out, I guess. But until I know a different way, I'm going to tell you how to get to my house. In the same way, if, the, if someone says, well, aren't there other avenues to heaven other than Jesus? I say, well, I don't know. I don't know any. I can tell you one way. I don't know why you'd want another way, but I can tell you one way. And that's the way I'm going. You can come with me. Okay? Guys, that is the first truth that we awaken to. The truth and the glory of God. The second thing that, that revival awakens us to, if there is a revival going on over in Asbury, and I have no doubt that there is, the second thing is that we are, are reckless, anything goes culture will awaken to the ugliness of sin and the horror of hell. Okay? Romans 3, 10 through 12 says this, there's no one righteous, not even one, there's no one who understands, not no one who seeks God, all have turned away, they, become, they have together become worthless, no one who does good, not even one. See guys, I grew up probably like you all, thinking that all the fun stuff was on Satan's side. You know, all the, all the, 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 the fun stuff, the, the stuff I enjoy, it's all on Satan's side, and, and I'm just gonna have to put that all away if I'm gonna follow God. And what revival happened, when revival happens, you realize that sin is the loss of pleasure, not the choice of pleasure, okay? Uh, when pleasures are God's creation. Everything that you enjoy, everything that, 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 that is good and wonderful and enjoyable in this world, God has created. Satan can only pervert and twist what God has created, okay? And when revival hits, the ugliness of sin and the horror of hell become prominent in our lives. See, guys, um, I, uh, when I was a kid, my, my dad had a, uh, had a term for when you didn't do your best. He called it a halfway job. You did a halfway job. Even if you did 95%, it was still a halfway job. Well, he told me to wash the car. And I, as a teenage guy, you know, I, I figured... 
I, I have other things to do, I'll, I'll, I'll wash it later. Well, I got to playing with friends and, and, and whatever, and uh, um, needless to say, it was almost dark by the time I remembered I was supposed to wash the car. And so I threw the water together and the soap in the bucket and, and got everything, and I, and I just started washing the car as best I could. It was almost, it was dark by the time I was done. And it looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. Well, the next morning, I was awakened by a thunder at the foot of the stairs. David, get down here! That's generally not uh, what you want to, uh, to hear from your dad. And uh, so I walked downstairs, he goes, look at this. And I looked, and the car, to say it looked awful, is an understatement. See, guys, what looked good in the dark and okay in the dark was all of a sudden extremely hideous in the light, okay? And I, what I saw was, mist, was streaks and water spots and mist spots and everything. And guys, when revival hits you, what you thought was okay that no one would notice, that looked pretty good. All of a sudden, the light of God hits you, and you are hit with your own sin, and you're hit with the, the ways you've fallen short, and that just destroys you. It causes what's called godly sorrow, and you realize how awful it is and how far away from God you are, and you repent. The, God awakens, awakens us to the truth. See, our culture has so minimized the truth that we think that being lukewarm looks pretty good. And then when revival hits, we realize how far off we really are. Um, this picture happened last week. You guys see this. It made all the rounds. This was the Grammys. This is not some out-of-the-way club. This was broadcast on TV, and this is the censored version of Sam Smith's song. And uh, if you want to call it a song. Fortunately, you know, I mean, all 10 people that still watch the Grammys were highly offended by this, but it was overt Satanism on display. And what, when I saw that, you all, I saw all of the commentary on, oh, this is just theater, this is just art, this is everything. And when revival hits, you all, it, we are awakened to the actual horror of what hell is. We don't minimize anymore. We don't allow Satan's uh, 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 lies of the devil being a little comic guy sitting on your shoulder with red tights and a pitchfork whispering evil things into your ear. No, you actually are awakened to this is eternity. And, and hell is no laughing matter. Jesus went to the cross to make sure we didn't go there. That's how serious he takes hell. And when, when revival hits you all, if revival is hitting over in Wilmore, the, the people will be broken and crushed over the reality of hell. We'll no longer minimize it and portray it and see it as great like the Grammys did. We will actually see hell for what it is. The third thing about revival, the quote will come back up, is the preciousness of, of, of Christ's atoning work. The preciousness of Christ's atoning work. Um, I, uh, 
just letting you guys know, my, uh, my, my iPad decided to update, and all my notes are, are gone. Satan's working. I revived this thing. I baptized this thing. How about, you know? Yeah. yeah. The preciousness of Christ's atoning work is the next thing that we awaken to. So you guys, a lot of times I'm in danger of minimizing what Jesus actually did on the cross. And when revival hits, you realize how precious that is. When I was in youth ministry, I used to ask my students, I used to ask, who's the worst person who ever lived? And I would always get the standard answers, you know, Adolf Hitler, uh, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, you know, uh, whoever's point guard for Duke, you know, those, like the worst people that ever lived, you know. Um, And and I said, no, 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 no. I said, the worst person who ever lived is ironically the person who never committed a sin, Jesus Christ. And they're like, what are you talking about? I thought Jesus was sinless. I said, yes, exactly. But on the cross, Jesus didn't just take your sin. He became your sin. On the cross, Jesus became every rapist, every murderer, every liar, every fornicator, every blasphemer. He became that. He, he be, the man who committed no sin whatsoever became every mass murderer and every sinner that ever lived so that when he died, all of that would die too. That's how precious the cross was. And then three days later, when he was resurrected, he resurrected without that so that you, your sin and my sin could be completely and totally done away with. He became your sin. He became every addict. He became every liar. He became every abuser. He became every manipulator. He became every awful, terrible, horrible person that's ever lived or ever will live on the cross. And when revival hits, you just sit there and you take all that in that our Lord and Savior would do that for us because he loves us to ensure ensure eternal life with him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And then not only that, not only that, if that wasn't good news enough, the Bible also tells us that, and this is the King James, how many King James people we got out there? How many King James Version people? Okay. He hath imputed unto us his righteousness. And what that means is this, is that all the, not only the bad stuff is gone, but all of the good stuff that Jesus did is written in your place. So when God sees you, not only does he not see the sin, the ugliness, the, the lying and the deceit and the, the, all the stuff that we, that we do to destroy ourselves. He doesn't, even see, he doesn't see that. What he sees is the righteousness of his son. He doesn't see you. He sees his son. And because his son was sinless, therefore he says, welcome into eternal life. When he looks at you, you know, one of these days I'm going to stand before God. I'm, I'm going to, as everybody will. And I'm going to walk in and, and he's going to open up the Kibler book. And he's not going to see the times I was lazy and didn't wash the car well. He's not going to see that. He's going to see his son raising Lazarus from the dead. He's going to see his son walking on water. He's going to see casting out demons. He's going to see those things. And he's going to see that. And it's all going to be written in my name, in your name. And he's going to look at us and say, man, did you really 
do all this? And I'm going to be like, now, God, it's your book. You, you know, it's, it's, it's your book. You're the one that made this thing happen, not me. And if that is the way you see me, God, it's the greatest day of my life. If all you see when you look at me is the work of your son, because he, he took my sins away, and he put his righteousness on me, if that's all you see, God, it's the best day of my life. And that's going to be the best day of your life too, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. See, when revival hits, God waken, awakens us to those things. The next thing that he awakens us to, follow along with the quote here, is the urgency of, sorry, the wonder of salvation by grace through faith, which is exactly what I just talked about. Not by anything that you do, by everything that Jesus has already done. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And the next thing is the urgency of holiness of witness. What, uh, what, one of the frustrating things pass as a pastor, and you all, this, this church, if, you, if this is your first time at this church, I want to tell you, this place is amazing. It has some of the most wonderful people I've ever met in my entire life. This is my family right here. You guys are my people. I love you. And this church is, just continues to amaze me at what you do. Um, but one of the frustrating things about being a pastor, and any pastor will tell you this, is the lack of urgency we see in the lives of the people we love. Lack of urgency to share their faith with their friends and family. The lack of urgency of getting sin out of our lives. The lack of urgency in healing your marriage to be what it needs to be. The lack of urgency to, uh, to, to fulfill what Jesus wants you to do. The lack of urgency is so prevalent in churches. And every pastor is frustrated with it. And I, I will tell you this, I don't have any complaints compared to a lot of other pastors, and, I, and, and you all are, are the reason for that. But what happens when revival hits is an urgency. Like, it's like a pebble in your shoe or a grain of sand in your eye. You cannot ignore it. You can't ignore it at all. This urgency to share your faith with people that don't know Jesus because you've been awakened to the horror of hell and the precious of what Jesus has done, and you just want to tell everybody about this Jesus that you found. And you want to save everybody from the future. This morning, an elder at, at our elder prayer time, when we lifted up and prayed for you guys, we prayed for Sam Smith because what he is portraying, he has no clue what he's portraying. He has no clue what hell really is. There's no clue. And we pray that God would open his eyes and that someone would share the faith with him. There's an urgency about Christians under revival, an urgency to get the ugliness and the sin out of our lives, and an urgency for witness. Um, in the Cane Ridge Revival in Bourbon County um, in 1820 was where the Christian church was started. Uh, revivals in the, in the 1800s led to the demise of slavery. Um, revivals um, led to all types of social and, 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 and society-wide change because people didn't keep it within the revival. They took it out and they shared their faith with, with, with their lost friends, with their coworkers, with their family. If revival is truly hitting over in Wilmore right now, if it's truly hitting, we will see so many lost people coming to Christ because of the urgency of the people there. Um, if revival truly hits, that's when missionaries go out to foreign countries. That's when, that's when uh, you get the call to ministry and everything. You cannot, you literally cannot 
keep things as they are. And you cannot keep it to yourself. It's like a candle being passed, being passed. That's what happens in a revival. An urgency of holiness and witness. So my question is to you, church, is there an urgency within you? Is there an urgency to get the ugliness out of your life, to confess your sins where you're falling short, to embrace holiness, not holier than thou, holiness, which means I'm going to be set apart for you, God, to do things your way? Is there an urgency for your lost friends and families? And if you have never been baptized, you've never confessed Christ, is there an urgency within you to, to do that, to make that decision? Or have we just become complacent and just good at saying no? If that is you today, I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you, if you are just really good at saying no, if that's become your habit, that's become your default, I'm, gonna, I'm asking you as your pastor, and I'm calling you to repent of that, right? And the last thing that happens in a revival is an awakening to the sweetness of worship with God's people. Revival doesn't happen individually. Revival happens collectively when we're together. And there's a very toxic, we've talked about it constantly, strain, and I believe it's a lie straight from the pit of hell, that you don't need to be a Christian, I mean, you don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. You just do your own thing at home. You've heard that? Yeah, heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that many times. Well, what happens in revivals, you awaken to the sweetness of the body of Christ and the sweetness of the church and the, the sweetness of worship together. That's what happens in a revival. How do we know there's a revival going on? Well, because the churches will be full. Uh, that, that, that's, how, that's how we know. And you awaken with a fresh intensity to the sweetness of what happens when we are together, when we are praying for each other, when we are worshiping God together, when we are mis doing missions together, when we are combining our resources to bless people and, 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 and to do the work of the kingdom. That is how we know revival has truly hit. So have I gone over there? No, I haven't. Because I'm watching and waiting to see those things happen. I won't, if there's a true revival going on over there, I'm going to see it everywhere. I'm going to see it in my neighbors. I'm going to see it in the churches. I'm going to see it in the professors at Asbury University and Asbury Seminary. I'm going to see it. Um, I'm going to see it in the news. I'm going to see it in the churches. I'm going to see pastors preaching different types of sermons now based totally on the Bible and not on a person's wisdom. That's what we're going to see if revival is truly happening. Um, when, um, when revival truly hits you all, the first people to notice it will be your family. Um, I am not interested in hearing about a huge move of the Holy Spirit in your life if you don't treat the people in your family better as a result of it. Um, a husband who has a, who's been to the revival but comes home and talks ugly to his wife and children hasn't experienced revival. They've experienced a good worship service, but they haven't experienced revival. Um, a person who's been at a revival who Monday morning when they go to work 
badmouths the boss, badmouths his family to, car, to, to, or to her co- co-workers, treats customers terrible, uh, embezzles money, uh, f- uh, fudges the numbers on the budget. That person hasn't had revival. That person's been to a good worship service. You guys following me? See, a true revival doesn't stop in the worship service. It will determine the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life. And that's what I am interested in seeing. I am, uh, um, I am very, very excited, very excited about seeing what happens over there. Um, revival right now, the Holy Spirit is calling two people in here. He does it all the time, but he's especially strong today. And when the Holy Spirit does that, it's like an alarm going off, okay? Last week, I was inundated with alarms. There are three people in my house. My two daughters have, one has gotten married, one's in college, and so it's just me, my wife, and my son, okay? Only three people in my house. Well, I was awakened by my wife's alarm going off. And um, my wife um, likes to hit snooze. So I was awakened eight minutes later by my wife's alarm going off. And then eight minutes later, I was awakened by my wife's alarm going off. Then my son's alarm in his room started going off. Well, my son is a heavy sleeper, and he just kept going, you know, just kept going off. And finally, I'm laying there, and I can't get it out of my mind. And I finally get up, and I go to his room. And he's kind of just stirring. He's like, man, can you not hear your alarm? It's been going off for a minute. He finally turns it off. So I go downstairs. And I'm starting to work. I'm starting to do some work on my laptop, getting some stuff done. Well, then all of a sudden, the kitchen alarm, kitchen timer on on the stove goes up. My son had set that so that he would know when to leave for school. Well, he was upstairs in the shower. So there's another alarm going off. And I cannot get away from these alarms. They're going off, they're going off, and they're going off. It's it's like this entire thing. And I thought to myself, that's what a revival's like. You can't ignore it. It's it's troublesome to you, to people that are awake. It bothers you. You cannot remain the same. But the people that are asleep, they can sleep right through it. So my question is, what kind of person are you this morning? Are you the kind of person that can sleep right through this huge move of God? Walk out of this church, be completely the same as you were when you came in. Complete, same old habits, same attitudes, same uh, uh, use of money, same use of language, same use, same relationship with your family, same relationship with the people that have hurt you. Is that you? You're asleep. Or are you the person that has heard the alarm and like, I cannot ignore this anymore. I've got to take care of this now. There's things I need to ask God to forgive me for. There are sins, blatant sins that I've been completely fine with that I've got to get out of my life. There are people I need to forgive. There are people that I need to ask forgiveness from. There are people in my family or that I've hurt and I need to reconcile with. There are people that, that all kinds of things. I've got a terrible attitude toward work. That has to change. I'm hearing the alarm. So my question is, which kind of person are you this morning? Are you asleep? and you're sleeping through the alarm? Or are you the kind of person that's hearing it and you can't focus on anything else? Two types of people in here today. I want everybody everybody to do this. 
I want you to put your arm like this. Everybody, everybody do this, okay? And now I want you to take your elbow, okay? And I want you to squeeze as hard as you can. I'm talking like try to, try to pinch it as hard as you can. How's everybody doing? Everybody doing all right? Okay. Now, I want you to move right here. <laughs> Do the same thing. Hmm. That hurts, doesn't it? Okay. Same force. This person didn't feel it. Same force this person did. A question, when revival hits and the Holy Spirit calls you, are you an elbow? I can't even feel it. Can't feel the conviction of your sin. Can't feel the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's possible. Or are you this that feels it and you can't ignore it? My question is, which one are you? Because the Holy Spirit is pinching right now. Question is, will you feel it? I want to pray for everybody here. I'm going to pray for the revival at Asbury. I'm going to pray for our nation that we stop being this and we start being this. And when the Holy Spirit sends us instructions, we feel it and we can't ignore it. Y'all join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, I'm as excited as anybody about what's going on over at Asbury College. Lord, I don't think it's any uh, coincidence that after the travesty that the Grammys were, this just a few days ago, the depiction of overt Satanism, that you sent a revival here because you awakened us and you've awakened this nation, you've awakened our state, our community. And Lord, I pray that all of those things that we talked about today that happened in the revival will happen, not just in Wilmore, but it was spread to Nicholasville, that was spread to Central Kentucky, that was spread to the rest of Kentucky, that was spread to the rest of our nation and to the world, Lord, so that people will just be awakened to these things that we've been asleep to. And Lord, if there are any elbows in here, I pray that you would make them triceps. And Lord, that they would feel the pinch and they would feel uh, the, the conviction that you're sending so that, you can, so that we will repent and that we will be uh, reconciled to you. Lord, I pray for revival in this room. I pray for revival at places of business. I pray for every home that is represented here for revival in those homes. Lord, not something that will last a week but it will last the rest of our lives. Lord, thank you for this worship service. Thank you for the people that are here. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for just bringing us together, and we have experienced the sweetness of worship together. We love you, Lord, and we pray your Holy Spirit would be powerful on our community, on our state, and our nation, and this world. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. You guys have a great week. Bye-bye.